for anybody who hasn't been through these kinds of things, it's almost impossible to describe how unbelievably painful it is and how much anger and frustration and sadness comes with having been victimized in this way. Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we're all just trying to survive in a rough world. What's up, SDS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime, and you're about to see why. Uh, of course, this is the twisted tale of a mom of three who allegedly murdered her husband by poisoning. Utah mom Corey Richens stands accused of poisoning husband Eric by spiking his celebratory Moscow Mule cocktail. But not one, not two, not three, not four, but five times the lethal dose of fentanyl. Uh, After 39-year-old Eric's death, 33-year-old Curry wrote a children's book about grief. She even promoted it on local TV and even dedicated it to the father of her three young children, who she stands accused of murdering. During her court hearing uh, earlier in the week, she sobbed as she was denied bail. Uh, Best guest today, one of the most important figures in this case, Greg Scordis, He represents the deceased husband's family, uh, Eric Richens, in this twisted tale. He has practiced law, Greg has, since 1982. He began his career at the Salt Lake Legal Defenders Association as a prosecutor representing indigent defendants in criminal matters. He is now uh, in his own private practice as a criminal defense attorney and acting as a spokesperson for the Richens family. The next person... With the fancy backdrop is new to uh, Surviving the Survivor. Dr. Garrison earned a PsyD uh, in clinical psychology from the Georgia School of Professional Psychology. He has been cited for his expertise in uh, psychology in numerous media outlets, including uh, Business Insider, Forbes, Vice, Huffington Post, Yahoo News, Real Simple, Simple, Fatherly, and others. He has extensively studied the language, which I think is super interesting, and culture of South Korea for over a decade. He also hosts his own YouTube channel called Dr. G Explains. And uh, last but not least, he's going to be here for a few minutes, hop off and maybe hop back on. We've got Dr. Roger Rhodes, a senior therapist at the Pace Center in Greenville, South Carolina, who specializes in dysfunctional relationships. That always comes in handy here. Uh, he's also worked with uh, inmates inside the prison system. Uh, please follow us on Facebook, Insta, Twitter. We are Podcast STS. Uh, you can support us on Patreon and YouTube. The merch store is open. Without further ado, Greg Scordis. And Greg's got a little hiss coming off his mic. Apologies for that. But, uh, Greg, first and most important question, uh, how is uh, Eric Richens' family doing today? We've talk to you recently about this i think they're uh, they're relieved joel that the uh, defendant the uh, accused murderer of, of eric is going to remain in jail they had a detention hearing this week it was a pretty involved hearing it was actually four hours we were there and watched the entire hearing and the judge took evidence uh, took testimony from four or five witnesses and uh, made a determination that there was substantial evidence to support the charges and that because they were the aggravated murder charges under Utah law with that particular charge and with substantial evidence to support it, a judge can, and in this case did, deny bail. So Corey Richens, 
by all accounts, will remain in custody of the Summit County Jail until this case can get to trial. And uh, Greg, right now, is there a uh, is there a, a date set for this trial? How long is she going to be sitting there right now? We don't have a date yet. There's a hearing on the 22nd to schedule what's called a preliminary hearing. You're familiar with that concept. And that would probably take place because the discovery of this case, the police reports are pretty voluminous. We're already in June. I, I imagine the preliminary hearing would be August or September at the earliest. I would be unlikely that we'll get a trial this calendar year. I, I don't see that, but I think we would probably get a trial within a year of now. And uh, Dr. J.P. Garrison, I'm coming to you, our new best guest who hopefully uh, stays with us for a long time to come. Uh, but Dr. Rhodes is going to have to hop off and then hopefully hop back on. Uh, Dr. Rhodes, a couple of quick uh, bullet points here. Uh, Corey Richens uh, allegedly poisoned her husband in March. Authorities, March 2022, that's a year ago, with this tainted Moscow, Moscow mule uh, after trying to up his life insurance. Uh, she then emailed police, we're going to get into this more, in an attempt to explain it all away, because she went on a few exotic holidays. Uh, I believe it was either Spain or Italy, and then went to Mexico. Uh, she also said that she wanted um, that the, her husband, Eric, who's uh, Greg is representing the family, that the husband wanted her to stay unemployed because uh, his his ex-wife had had an affair. So these are kind of bullet point highlights, and we'll get into each of them. Uh, Raj, what's your uh, 360 bird's eye view of a woman who is accused of poisoning the husband five times a lethal dose with fentanyl in a cocktail, a celebratory cocktail? And then goes and writes a book about grief. How do you describe a person like this if it is all, in fact, true? Well, number one, she thinks she's the smartest person in America. That's the first thing you got to start with. Uh, the fact that she, it's like, wait a minute, don't you think the police are going to research? First place they're going to research is the people closest to the dead person. And, and then to turn around and write a book. You know, it's like standing next to a wrecked car on a highway and waving at people going by. That's what she did. Uh, it's, you know, a, a level of mental and emotional denial of what's going on in her world and how needy she is. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if she wasn't looking, thinking that she would be innocent. And number two, looking for her second husband. Uh, Dr. J.P. Garrison, um, your your bird's eye view. Um, just let the audience know too. Um, you know, kind of what you specialize. You do forensic and clinical psychology, uh, but really, what your specialty is. I, I, I think I also saw you analyzing, uh, you know, body language and that sort of thing. Uh, so just let the audience know what you're up to and your bird's eye view of uh, of this case. So I'm a personality disorder expert. That's one of my big areas, which for people who don't know what personality disorders are, like narcissistic personality, borderline personality, I can explain more of that later. But oftentimes I deal with people in a clinical setting that nobody else wants to deal with. So I'm used to dealing with folks that have pretty serious pathology, pretty serious challenges. So when I see people that have committed acts like this, the first question I go to is, how much control do they need? Right, Because when you look at, uh, presuming that, she actually committed the, the acts that she's been accused of. 
write down from how to grieve, write a book about like, you know, let's focus on the continuity and make sure no, no, don't, don't change your life up. That's one of the things she wrote about in her book is that the kids need to have continuity. So don't let it disrupt your life that your dad passed away. Um, you know, rather than getting a divorce and trying to, to get money that way, like going to murder instead, like it's an incredible amount of control that we're looking at that somebody would need, um, and insist upon to do all these things. Um, Greg Scord is back to you, by the way, catch up, checking in, uh, these, there are three kids right now with no parents thinking of them, justice for Eric Richens. A lot of times people don't think of, uh, the collateral damage, uh, the kids, uh, in this case, uh, they are going to suffer the rest of their lives because of, because of this. I am not T-Pain. My heart goes out to the children who lost both of their parents because of Corey's selfishness and greed in Eric's family. Uh, and then I'm being corrected here from Carrie Ann or Carrie Ann. She was not crying. Why people? Why do people keep saying that? Uh, she was trying real hard to squeeze out any tears. Greg Scordis, you were in the courtroom. Was she crying? Well, she was sure putting on a putting on a show that made it appear she was crying. She had uh, at one point when when Eric's sister was speaking really from the heart, an incredibly uh, moving uh, story that she told about him. Um, Corey looked down and uh, sort of shook her head and uh, sort of held her eyes as though she was crying. But um, then, you know, a few minutes later, she's sort of talking to her lawyers and planning the next uh, cross-examination. So I don't know. There's, it's hard. And, and I, I'm, I'm glad you've got uh, Dr. Garrison here who understands these sort of personalities far better than I do. But I, I mean, she, she, uh, I, I, we saw the same thing. You and I talked about it not long ago, Jill, with the Lori Vallow up in Idaho and just sort of a, this, the, these, these personalities, these cold, uh, almost heartless personalities that can turn on and turn off their emotions in a way that sort of play to the audience and, there was an audience there. Certainly there was a camera in the courtroom and it was, uh, I, I, my sense was that's what she was trying to do. And uh, the charges, uh, Greg, to you, uh, she is charged with first degree aggravated murder and multiple counts of second degree possession of a controlled substance. That would be the fentanyl with intent to distribute. Um, how serious are these charges? Uh, I mean, I don't think you get much more serious than murder, but uh, she's, she's, She'll be in the in in the joint, the pokey, as uh, Gigi McKelvey says, for the rest of her life if she is convicted on these. Correct? Yeah, no question. Aggravated murder is the most serious charge we have under Utah law. It carries the potential for the death penalty, but at at a minimum, it carries a punishment of from twenty five years to life. It's one of those crimes, Joel, where the jury decides the punishment, and they would have the right to uh, impose the twenty five to life, which is life with the possibility of parole, life without the possibility of parole, or the punishment of death. And the county attorney, this is in Summit County, uh, Park City is one of the big cities there, uh, has not uh, disclosed yet, has not determined yet whether they're going to seek the death penalty. We don't know what they'll do. I mean, I it's, it's a, it would be a tough case for a death penalty just because it's a, the mother of three with no prior criminal history. But it was a pretty it was a pretty horrific act. And I had heard another attorney say that they had never in their lifetime seen a hearing like this go more than a few minutes, let alone four hours. What, what took so long? Well, that's interesting because it was a bail hearing. It was a detention hearing. And they're right. Um, those, are, those are usually a 
15 minutes, you know, judge, let my client out. He's got a good job. He's got no prior record. He's got a great family. The prosecution saying, you know, he's a monster. He's got this, he's got that. And the judge sort of goes up there and sets bail. But Utah law provides that for that particular crime, aggravated murder, uh, the judge can hold a person without bail if he finds substantial evidence to support the charges. So the state, the prosecution, put on a mini trial. It was almost like a preliminary hearing to show the judge that they had substantial evidence. And at the end of that hearing, and it was a there was the, the defense was there, they were able to cross-examine the witnesses, they could have called their own witnesses. The judge did determine not that she was guilty because that wasn't the issue, or that there was sufficient evidence to bind the case over at a preliminary hearing because that wasn't the issue. But the judge did find that there was substantial evidence to support the charges and that there were no reasonable alternatives to uh, keeping her in custody, that you couldn't set a bail amount because she's got these three boys that she could leave the country with and she's got substantial uh, ties out of state. And the judges said, I don't think there are conditions I can impose that will assure your appearance. It's a capital offense or at least an aggravated murder. And uh, there's substantial evidence to support the charges. So I'm going to deny bail. But you're right. It was a four hour hearing to determine that. And it was uh, it, we saw a lot of the state's case in that hearing. Not all of it. But they claimed that we just saw the tip of the iceberg. But we did see some pretty compelling evidence. Interesting. Uh, very interesting. Uh, Julie Fru in the UK. Hello, STS Nation. Uh, back to our new best guest, Dr. J.P. Garrison. Um, so we'll go through this kind of systematically here. But uh, Corey Richens, uh, whether the tears were real or not, uh, Dr. Garrison, uh, reports are that she was uh, crying in there. And it happened after uh, prosecutors read a text message that she allegedly sent to her a quote-unquote best friend, and she's talking about providing a CPR uh, to her then deceased or already deceased husband. And the quote is, I pumped, I pumped so damn hard, so hard, screaming at him to come back to life. Uh, she started wiping uh, her face with a tissue as it was read out. Um, if, again, if these allegations are true, if she is guilty of these crimes, what level of personality disorder is it to sit there in front of a court of uh, your peers and say that I pumped so hard and act as though you were trying to help the, the very person who you're accused of murdering. I mean, what you'd be looking at there, you know, without providing a diagnosis, but at least talking about the level of pathology you'd be dealing with with somebody who could do that. You're talking about someone who has an incredible need for impression management, right? So somebody who's very aware that people are watching them, very much aware. And this would not just be specific to the courtroom. This would be probably universally true for people like this. But, you know, as I watched her in uh, that hearing, I didn't watch all four hours, but I watched quite a bit of it. She did seem to have a very keen awareness that she was being watched. You see her, you know, reacting to certain things, shaking her head, no, and mouthing things, and was reacting almost more than I would have expected someone to react um, uh, in, in, some of, in some of her body language, actually. Um, but, yeah, we're talking about something that would be uh, someone who is incapable of feeling what most people feel. I think that that's what we're talking about, a callousness that the average person is not capable of, uh, if, if that is kind of manipulation is possible. And uh, you made it, by the way, Dr. Raj has a, a, a patient, so he had to jump off and he might jump back on. Um, but uh, Dr. Garrison, um, you, you touched on it a little bit, but 
overall, what did you make of uh, the body, her body language as you were watching this? Was it that of a guilty person, an innocent person, or not clear enough? But not clear enough yet, but I can say, you know, I try not to determine someone's guilt or innocence based on body language, but I, what I try to do is to get an idea of how they're feeling. And what I saw was someone who at times appeared very anxious. Like when, when Amy Richens was talking, there was a lot of anxiety during those times. There was a, the, the mouth is something we touch or she won a lot to make ourselves feel calmer. There was a lot going on there during that time, a lot of chewing on her lip, a lot of discomfort. So there was something about that, that um, statement that, that, uh, Amy Richmond was making that seemed to be making her very uncomfortable. Yeah, and and Julie Frew in the UK says Corey was so animated in court. I wonder if she tones it down. Did you did you or would you characterize uh, how she presented herself as overly animated? She, she I don't know if animated is a word I would use specifically. I'd say she reacted a lot though. Um, and now that she, and this is this is I don't want it to feel like people can't just react naturally. They're either overreacting or underreacting. But she was so um, attentive to everything that was said and seemed to have a reaction to everything that was said. I thought it was um, more than I would expect from a lot of people. I don't, I, I watch a lot of, a lot of trials, a lot of hearings, and I don't, I don't typically see people react quite that much. So. By the way, uh, Dr. Garrison has an amazing voice and uh, a great microphone that I'm <laughs> about to get myself from my new studio. And the fact that he sounds this good is a, a beautiful thing. Knowing my mic is, Exact same mic, I believe. Um, look at this. And his his uh his following has followed us here to STS. Dr. G is the best. Dr. G rocks. Uh Dr. Raj getting some love and Greg Scordis always gets the love. Uh MC Spunky is in Utah. Uh, hello, STS Nation. Uh best guest from uh Utah. Uh Greg Scordis, back to you. Um Amy Richens, uh, you, you talked about how the state presented a lot of its case, but Amy Richens, she's the sister of Eric Richens. Um, she spoke at this hearing um, and really went off on her. I mean, the title of this thumbnail for this episode is Greedy, Manipulative, and Desperate. And that's exactly what she or how she described Corey Richens. Um, is this commonplace where family members are able to speak at a hearing like this, at a detention hearing? And uh, it was almost like a victim impact statement at a sentencing, it seemed like to me. Yeah, I mean, there, there was nothing real common about this whole hearing. I've never seen a detention hearing that went this long. Nonetheless, under the Utah, what we call the Victim's Bill of Rights, victims, and in this case, the victim's representative, has the right to at least speak at hearings like this. And that would include a detention hearing or like you say, a sentencing. So she, she was allowed to do that. She took advantage of that opportunity. She had a speech prepared. It was it was very well written. And she, you know, just listening to her, I was surprised that she didn't break down. You know, her voice cracked a few times. Um, she couldn't look at, at Corey, obviously. Um, as she sort of stood in front of her, but um, it was it was really well thought out, well drafted statement, and and it had to have made some impact on the judge. I mean, he he took a break before he made his ruling, but he 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 followed what the state had asked for pretty closely. And this is a judge I've appeared before. I actually did a trial in front of him just a couple months ago. And he's a very fair judge. He's very. Uh, very balanced. I mean, the defense bar likes him. The prosecution uh, 
likes him. Civil lawyers like him. So I, I, no one walked into that hearing thinking this was a slam dunk for the state. He, he put them to their proof and they, they complied. They, they, they persuaded him that there was evidence. And, and uh, I think that the, his Eric's sister's statement really uh, kind of sealed the deal. Mm. Uh, Sally M. I love to hear this. Thanks for the lunchtime edition of SGS today. Listening while I work in the garden. Speaking of the garden, uh, an unrelated but related story. So we're starting a new series called Surviving My Biggest Case with all of our law enforcement uh, agents and uh, other people in the field who are talking about the biggest case they've had. Anyway, we just had uh, Steve Peterson on. He was the longest serving DEA street agent uh, till he retired. And he was telling us the story of the real Walter White uh, that Breaking Bad is based on. It's an amazing story. But I digress because in the telling of that story, the garden uh, gardening reminded me uh, of his story because he said they had seized at one point. This is not related to the Walter White character, but from someone else all this marijuana and the seeds fell everywhere. And they thought it'd be funny this back in the early eighties to take all the seeds that they had collected uh, from this huge seizure and then put them in the planters around the DEA. And three weeks later uh, it was uh, voluminous uh, and a lot of marijuana plants uh, popped up. Uh, Dr. G uh, to you, how do you, I'm always curious. So my dad, uh, was a psychiatrist. May he rest in peace. He passed away not long ago. And my mother was a licensed therapist, still is. Um, how did you get yourself in this field? And uh, what got you interested in, uh, do you speak fluent Korean? Two different questions. But uh, first about the field, what got you interested in this? So what got me interested in psychology, I've got other family members that are in psychology. So it just sort of came naturally. Like my mother's a psychologist. I got siblings that have also gone into it. And I think that, uh, you know, it's it's hard to say specifically what it was, but it's always come very naturally to me. I've always been a very curious person. I like to solve things, I like to figure things out. And that's very much my approach to psychology is I try to, if somebody comes to me with an issue, I try to look at it in a unique way and uh, and see if we can solve it. So I think it's just being a very curious person, if nothing else. Um, as far as the forensic aspects of things, you know, I've been involved in about 2000 forensic evaluations. So I've done a lot of and those are like putting puzzles together, basically, which is that you have records, you have tests you do, and then you put it all together and try to figure out what, what's going on. Um, and I just love stuff like that. So that's, I'm, it just is more stuff to fuel my curiosity. And uh, Korean, do you speak Korean fluently? I understand it pretty fluently. My, so, so I actually, uh, when I went to UGA, I took Mandarin Chinese. Um, I learned Cantonese. I took Japanese. But Korean was the one that I learned the best um so i watch a lot of like korean tv shows and stuff i don't really speak it as well i get a little anxious when it comes to trying to speak it but i probably could <laughs> at this point how would you say uh, i love sts in korean um i think it'd be sts sarangye i think is how you would say it sts sarangye i love it i love it yeah. uh i got side stories during lunch shows i cannot remember his name i'm blanking on it right now but he was my best friend in college's freshman roommate and i went to college with a good friend of mine from high school and this was his freshman roommate we all became friends and this guy was funny bit nerdy from philadelphia the one thing i do remember his mother i wish i could remember the name his mother was a famous uh radio 
psychic. She had like a, a show on the radio and it was a national show. She was kind of a big deal. us late eighties. Um, long story short, he thought it'd be a good idea back then. He, he wanted to learn Mandarin and he switched his major to Mandarin at Brandeis university. And, uh, not, a long time after that, his GPA went from like 3.8 to 1.5, and he almost <laughs> he almost failed out of school. And he, had, he had, I cannot remember his name; it'll come to me. But uh, if anyone knows a famous psychic from Philadelphia, it's probably her son. Um, anyway, moving along here. Uh, so back to Amy Richens, uh, Greg. Besides saying that. Uh, Corey Richens is greedy, manipulative, and desperate. She went on to say, how could anyone value human life so cheaply? I cannot comprehend it. I am overflowing with grief and pain at the thought that Eric meant so little to her. And then she pleaded uh, with the third district court judge, uh, Richard Richard Mrazek, if I'm saying that right, not to release her ahead of the trial. Um, You're obviously in contact uh, with Amy. I mean, how devastated is she? She said the last year has just been brutal. Um, how is she holding up and how are the kids doing right now? So the, the boys are together and which is good. There are three boys. Uh, there are three brothers. They're together with a family member uh, in the area where they were raised. So they're, they're close to home. They're close to each other. They're close to family. And, you know, this has been a culmination of a lot with Amy and and the other members of the family because they suspected that this occurred, that this was a homicide right from the beginning. They 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 knew really that because Eric had told them, if something happens to me, you need to check out my wife because I think she's trying to kill me. So they they're relieved that something has finally been done. Now, the charges came a full year and then some after the homicide, but the family does feel like there's been some relief. But but just that what you just talked about, you know, just the the sanctity of life to to realize that Eric was worth more to his wife dead than had they got divorced is is really what what the bottom line was. In other words, she gets X number of dollars if they get divorced, but she gets two uh, X if if he dies and. And that's that's really the motive here, you know. I mean, why not just divorce the guy? And, you know, take 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 your pot of gold. But no, she. I mean, that that sort of gives you some idea of what how how she values life, and and really the father of her three children. I mean, it's uh, the, the callousness of this is just beyond me, and it's all 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 about money. Uh, Dr. Garrison, back to South Korea for a minute. So I covered a story last week with uh, Detective Phil Waters, and who's investigated 400 homicides. Uh, and I'm sure you heard about this. Uh, it was a woman in South Korea who was obsessed with true crime and then uh, ended up murdering to see uh, what it felt like. Uh, just a very bizarre story. But when you look at this woman, uh, that's mm-hmm. what really stood out to me. She's like four foot nine. She yep. literally looks like a fifth grader. Uh mm-hmm. Just very, uh, um, just un, uh, not intimidating is the word I'm trying. I'm, I'm looking for. Sure. And then you look at Corey Richens, she's an attractive woman, just very, you know, looks like a, a mom you'd see uh, at a proverbial soccer game or walking through the mall. Um, sure. Does not look like a killer. Um, mm-hmm. 
what are we to believe? Because uh, these people, I mean, you just can't judge a book by its cover. But from a psychological perspective, yeah. how do you uh, articulate this, I guess, that someone, who, people who look like this can be so violent behind the looks? It, it's because this type of behavior is a neurological illness. I mean, one thing we know, if it, let's just say it's related to personality. Um, people are born this way. Like they lack, they literally lack the ability to feel the things that most people feel. You know, when you think of somebody murdering for money, that's somebody who doesn't look at another person as a person. In a very literal sense, they look at them as an object to get money. Like the idea, and most of us can't really conceptualize this very easily because we can't feel that. I cannot look at another person and not feel some connection to the fact that they are human. Um, and so people that, that, that function in this way genuinely can look at people that way and see them as tools, as objects. And I mean that in a very literal sense as seeing them as objects. So that's part of what it is, is that there's more people out there like that than you realize. Most of them just happen to not murder. Most, people, most of them con or take advantage of people in other ways. So sometimes they come in packages that we don't expect, but, you know, there's, well, I think you just, uh, we lost your audio there. Hang on one sec. Uh, this is the fun of, can you hear me now? Yeah, I have you. I have you. Yeah. Okay. So my new setup occasionally has a couple of hiccups here and there, which you'll <laughs> I'll tell you about later. But um, so, uh, but, but what I was saying is that, that, that these types of personalities come in every kind of package, right? Some of them murder, some of them con, some of them do other things, but uh, you know, this is, it doesn't shock me in any way to see, you know, it, it may be a little surprising and there may be some unusual aspects to it because you don't expect it, but I'm not exactly shocked if, uh, you see somebody who's attractive that ends up murdering. Usually they can find other ways to manipulate instead. But. Yeah. For the layperson like me, it's, it's eerie to see these people who you would just never, ever suspect to be, you know, well, you know, you look at Charles Manson, he's scary looking, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's, sure. it's nothing like that. Uh, Davina Wilson, uh, Greg, for you here. Um, evening from hot and sunny Germany. So happy to have found this great channel. Loving all the guests and coverage. What do your guests, Greg Scordis, uh, speculate on the death penalty in this case? Will she get it? Uh, Utah does have it. Correct, Greg? Yes, we still do. Um, and it's barely, very rarely used in Utah. I prosecuted uh, death penalty cases and I've represented individuals who are accused of aggravated murder which is a capital offense. I and, and I tried to pin the county attorney down. She wasn't uh, taking the bait. She she wasn't prepared to say whether they're going to pursue it or not. I would I would just say this that in in America in, in 2023 a a woman with no prior criminal history no matter what the facts are and and you know we've seen some bad crimes like we talked about earlier Lori Lori Vallow you know, it's it's hard to convince a jury of twelve unanimously to agree to put that kind of person to death. I mean, she is a mother of three, and I'm not saying that it, it's right or wrong. We we want this. We want the county attorney to do their job on behalf of the family. They they don't. They're not taking a strong position on this issue at all. They support what what the government does or what the jury ultimately does. But I I would just say, based on my 41 years of experience here in Utah that it would be very difficult for the state to get a punishment of death by a jury in a case like this, just because of the, of the circumstances. And, and I mean, it's, it's, it's an awful murder and it qualifies because there are two, what we call aggravating circumstances. One that 
uh, a poison was administered, and two, that the murder was committed uh, for uh, financial gain. Those are two what we call aggravating circumstances that can boost a murder up to an aggravated murder. Both of those apply according to the state's witnesses and according to the evidence. But again, convincing a jury that that's the punishment that fits this crime, I think is going to be very difficult. Uh, Isabel saying hello uh, from Germany as well. Two, two Germans back to ba back. SDS best guest, Dr. G, thumbs up. Uh, appreciate that. And then uh, Greg Scordis, you got your work cut out. There's a few people here. Uh, not that you're trying this case, but Jody says too much reasonable doubt for me. I think she is uh, innocent. Uh, you wouldn't want her on this jury, I guess, Greg. No, and, and but I understand that. I mean, she's presumed innocent. And, and I, you know, Joel, I, I do criminal defense work. That's my main practice. Um, I have been a prosecutor, like like you said in the introduction. But we didn't hear the the state had to establish substantial evidence to hold her in jail. They didn't have to establish proof beyond a reasonable doubt for a jury to unanimously agree that she committed a crime. So the prosecutor even told me afterwards, she said, you saw the tip of the iceberg here. So I, I would just hope that people recognize that wasn't a trial. That wasn't a jury trial. It wasn't even a preliminary hearing. It was a detention hearing, just a bail hearing. And the judge found substantial evidence. So my guess is, and I don't know for sure, that there's substantially more evidence. And when the jury hears that, ultimately, if it goes to that point, I, I, I don't know that they... I, I, a lot of people are looking at this also as a circumstantial case, but we do circumstantial cases every day. I mean, I've prosecuted and defended cases based solely on circumstantial evidence. And, you know, jurors want to see, uh, you know, fingerprints or photographs or confessions or, you know, DNA, uh, those kind of things. But sometimes you just, it's accumulation of circumstantial things that get you over the, over the hurdle. And so I, I believe the state has a strong case and, but we we didn't see we saw a four hour case that's probably going to be four weeks in front of the jury. That's 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 the percentage of the evidence that we heard at the hearing on Monday. Uh, Astra, uh, hey from the UK, I'm back. We missed you, Astra. Glad to have you back here. Uh, followed by a few of these, uh, Jennifer OMG. I love your voice, Doctor G. Followed by. Havana's mom, I can't read anymore. My eyes are going. Dr. G's voice, heart emoji. Um, and uh, what's this one here from JP? This lady is just as evil as that other woman that killed her snake breeding husband. These women really anger me. I hope to God they don't go lenient on her too. Um, it's funny. Called my mother yesterday and said, do you think we're going to run out of uh, true crime stories anytime soon? And she said, that's one of the few things like death and taxes. I can assure you we will not. Uh, Sunflower Girl says, Dr. G, all these people must keep you very busy. <laughs> Excuse me. So um, Amy Richens, again, Eric Richens' sister, uh, in court, Dr. G, she said, there's no consoling thought in the way Eric died in his last moments. After being intentionally poisoned, he was faced with betrayal and terror. The thought of it is unbearable. I am haunted by the horror of it. This last year has been a living hell for our family. We have watched as Corey has, uh, has paraded around, portraying herself as a grieving widow and victim while trying to profit from a book about his death and trying to get life insurance and assets that should go exactly where Eric wanted them to, uh, to his boys. Um, forget the suspect here. Um, Greg is representing the victim's family. 
Um, you know, obviously Erica is the one that died at her hands, but how severe is the ripple effect of pain and agony that these uh, victims' families feel, particularly the sister here and also the eventually the, the children who are going to grow up to know what happened? It's almost hard to describe because that's you know what I, what I do every day outside of evaluations and things like that is I do therapy and I see people who've who've been affected by things like this you know and so it, 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 it this will last a lifetime there's no way around it and hopefully they find ways to manage it. hopefully they have support and communities around them that can help them try to manage the incredible feelings that come with this but it, it's for anybody who hasn't been through these kinds of things, it's almost impossible to describe how unbelievably painful it is and how much anger and frustration and sadness comes with having been victimized in this way. And that's truly, that's my interest in true crime is the victims of true crime. I find the actors far less interesting than I do helping the victims avoid dangerous people, really. So that that's really what's drawn me to true crime in the first place. And that that is noble of you. Uh, I am not T-Pain. Uh asking you, by the way, Dr. Garrison, had you ever heard or have you ever heard of T-Pain the rapper? Because I have not. And that's what yes. this you have. Look I'm, at that. Yeah. <laughs> even even Dr. Garrison knows about I am not T-Pain, T-Pain. I had never heard of this guy. I don't know where I've been living. I need to get out more. Uh, but she wants to know, or he wants, I don't even know if I am not T-Pain is a man or a woman. That's a good question. How much narcissism does uh, Corey display? Is there a way to measure it? Well, so much of that would depend on whether or not she's done what she's accused of. If she has, then an incredible amount, really. Because one thing I can say is that her behavior, whether or not she committed these crimes, she is sort of odd. I think that it's hard to deny that. Like some of the interviews that she's done, let's say that if she has not committed these crimes, some of the, like the interview on um, Good Things Utah is still strange regardless and so she is is sort of an odd person um in that regard in what, in what way was that odd because i was going to get to that eventually but it's far down on the list but in what way did you find that other than the fact that she's accused of murdering her husband and goes on there to promote a book she wrote about grief but how what did you find odd about it well part of it is that she doesn't talk about missing her husband in any real way she doesn't emote about it in any real way either it's it's she's so focused it seems that she's focused on a task and it's she's certainly not processing the so the passing of someone uh, like anybody I've ever seen. So it's it's just unusual how she presents. Same as as at the hearing. I, I know that I said she reacted too much, but that's in some ways. In some ways, she didn't react enough because we didn't. I at least outside of the crying, if you want to call it that, um, I didn't see any emotions that suggested sadness or pain. Or I mean, because if you think about somebody that's sitting in a hearing that didn't murder their husband, that's been accused of these awful things, separated from their children, that's going through all of this, she shows very an unusually low amount of sadness considering all of those facts if she indeed didn't do these things. So it's it's an odd situation regardless. Mona, Dr. G sounds like a voice actor. Love it. Uh, Dr. Liddy, keep flowing in. Dr. G, I love your voice. Uh, I might have to get him to be my uh, voiceover guy for my new intro that's coming to... Uh, to a show near you soon. Um, Dr. Scordis, back to you here. Um, immediately following Eric's death, uh, Amy, the sister, said that Corey told family that she was too distraught to help plan for his funeral. But uh, Amy said that Corey proved otherwise. 
Uh, and here's the quote. In fact, she pulled herself together enough to go close on the purchase of a $2 million home, hire a real estate, a real estate agent, hire an architect to create CAD drawings of the home, hire a lawyer in order to file a lawsuit on Eric's trust, hire a locksmith to come break in and clean out my brother's safe, and attempt to have Eric cremated. She mustered up the strength and resolve to do most of this within the first 48 hours uh, of his death. Uh, the state has got to be taking notes from uh, Amy Richens here. These are amazing points to make, right? And the eventual trial, um, contrary to what she's saying, that she was too broken up to do anything. Is that correct, Greg? Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly right. And and that, that's, the, that's the great irony of this. She's supposedly the grieving widow, uh, the grieving uh, mother of, of these three uh, now uh, fatherless boys, and she's too distraught to help with his, uh, you know, the, his, his postmortem and, and to deal with what they're going to do and the funeral and everything that's going on there. But she's trying to close on this, this home that they were trying to flip in the neighboring county. Uh, she's, she's, and, and she hires a locks, locksmith to come and drill that she couldn't even wait to find the combination to his safe. She literally drilled it uh, a day or two later so she could get what we all believe now was probably fifty or sixty thousand in cash that which she had in the safe. But nobody will ever know because she it's gone. And um, she was she was hustling money. She was looking for life insurance policies. She was trying to figure out what happened with the buy sell agreement with him and his business partner and the life insurance policy with that. And she was manipulating and moving uh, other things around. So, yeah, she was she was grieving in a way that uh, doesn't make sense to anyone here, except maybe Dr. G. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Greg, you mentioned this, or you were asked this in a previous show, but let's do it again here from Toy White. Why in the hell did Eric stay with her when she had tried to poison him before? Because she had uh, allegedly done that. Um, I saw an interview with a former husband and family, and she allegedly tried to poison. So what? why stay? And I know kids are a big part of that, right, Craig? Yeah, I mean, there were three boys. And I would say Eric found himself to be a father as the most important role in his life. And, and being a father meant uh, having a nuclear family, spending as much time with your boys as possible, trying to have a relationship with their mother. I mean, there were, it, when it got down to the end and um, he was killed. He was contemplating divorce. I think that may have triggered some of the events that happened here. But he he tried to make this work, even in the face of what looks to be some pretty compelling evidence that that he was that, that she was trying to poison him. I mean, there was a trip to Greece where there was some something in his sandwich. There was at least one other poisoning. And he he, you know, and I guess in his in, he knew it in his heart that something was going on. But he still wanted to keep the keep the family together. And, and I, I've been criticized for saying that because some people said, well, you know, you're, you're making it seem like uh, that he, he died for his boys. But uh, I don't know. He, he kind of did. He really wanted to keep that family together. I have some thoughts. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, it's all you. Yeah, go ahead. I, yeah, I, I have some thoughts about this because. Okay. Um. <sighs> There's a, I work with a lot of couples, so I see a lot of couples in distress. And so, you know, it, it doesn't actually shock me, even though people go like, well, this person was poisoned before. How could they stick around? It's always more complicated than it seems. It's easy for us to see that on the outside. Oh, yeah, yeah. If somebody tried to poison me, I would never talk to them again, whatever. It's never so simple, right? And even beyond just having kids, 
the conversations they might have had afterwards, if someone's manipulative, the way they could convince them to stay or, or what, whatever kinds of things they could say. And also that we presume oftentimes that people are capable of learning. So let's say that we're in a relationship, we have a big conflict, something bad happens. We assume, hey, we've talked it out and this person's capable of learning and not doing the same thing again. The problem with people that are capable of murder is they're not capable of learning interpersonally in that way. They really can't do it. They cannot, you could give them a, a list of things to say, hey, follow these, your life's going to be perfect. Everything is going to be amazing. You're going to have the best life ever and they'll tear it up and throw it away. They just are like, no, I can't do it. They're going to do whatever. So they can't learn. So what I mean by that is that if he had the presumption, hey, maybe she's learned something from problems we've had, he may have believed that she was going to be capable of change. Now, maybe towards the end, he started to say, you know, uh, I'm going to need to get divorced, but it doesn't shock me because it was another case where somebody was poisoned in Colorado, I think by a dentist or allegedly by a dentist, um, a few months back in this same story, she'd been, he'd been, he'd, he'd, uh, drugged her before and you know, this time it, it killed her. So it, 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 it is not as shocking to me as it sounds on the surface, uh, that someone would stay even after that. Although uh, there is a sort of a distinction here, and that is the fact that Eric is a male, not a female. So she did this to a husband. Is it more difficult for the public at large to um, sort of grapple with the idea that that a a man couldn't leave a woman as opposed to a woman not being able to leave a man? Probably. I I would assume so. Um, It's it's can be a little hard hard to get a bird's eye view on that sometimes because I deal with so much of it. Um, with dysfunction on both sides of it, where it's it, it to me, I, it, it I, I wouldn't make a distinction there, but I can see how a lot of people probably would. Um, but I think they would be incorrect to do so. And I, w- I think I would agree with you, uh, Michelle. Watching in Cape Town, South Africa, uh, Greg Scordis. She wants to know, not to put you on the spot here and profile you, but I will. Are you Greek? She wants to know. Hang on before you answer that. Do you care to answer that? Um, yeah, Scordis is a Greek name. My grandfather uh, immigrated from Greece when he was a young man, and uh, so I'm the um, third generation Greek, and uh, proud to be part of the Greek community here in in Utah, and uh, which is a, sort of a thriving community that came out to support the coal industry and the railroad, and that's where my family came from. Yeah, Scordis is. Oh, and there you go, Michelle. I didn't mean to clip him there. Um, Dr. G, this one's in uh, your wheelhouse here. Uh, Amy recalls that Corey allegedly punched her in the days following Eric's death when she learned she was cut out of her husband's will. Here's the quote. I told her that she could not kick me out of my brother's house. My sister was now the executor of Eric's trust and estate. Uh, Corey, Corey looked at me with pure hatred and rage. I was messing up her plan. I was getting in her way. And because of that, she attacked me. She punched me in the face and neck multiple times. It took four people to pull her off of me that day. Um, How important is this fact in sort of um, unveiling the true colors of this person, uh, Dr. Garrison? It's it's incredibly important because it demonstrates an impulsive person. And that's another thing that we've seen throughout this. The things that were Googled <laughs> are pretty impulsive because, you know, to go back to the narcissism point, because this all does tie together when someone asked how narcissistic she is. Um, narcissists don't think that they're ever going to be suspected of these things. So they act with 
impunity because they think, well, nobody's going to look at me because so I can Google whatever I want. Because why would they think I did this? You know, I don't. I'm not a drug addict. I don't do fentanyl. So what do I care? I can Google what I want. Um, and so narcissists oftentimes don't have the insight to realize that they are not as special as they think they are. And then later on, you know, the things that they've done impulsively, like things that they've they've Googled, things that uh, attacking somebody, all of these things. They they act first and think later. Sometimes they can't they can't be manipulative to the point where things are calculated. But they also sometimes engage in these impulsive acts. So uh, attacking somebody in this situation um, is is helps a, a really important piece of building a, a better understanding of her personality. It's not good. Hmm. Uh, Davina Wilson in Germany says Corey cries almost as well as Amber Heard did. I sense a little sarcasm there. Uh, Greg, to you here, um, defense attorneys at this hearing said that prosecutors, quote unquote, simply accepted the narrative from Eric Richens' family that his wife had poisoned him and, quote unquote, worked backward uh, in an effort to support it. Um, are you surprised by this tactic? And I've had Sky Lazaro, uh, the defense attorney, on basically arguing that uh, they only came to this conclusion by, you know, in essence, back engineering the claims to make it work. Uh, what do you say to it? You know, Corey has a good lawyer. She was smart to hire such a skilled lawyer. Uh, but this case didn't uh, get charged a week after the homicide. Uh, it didn't even get charged within a year of the homicide. It's not like the state grabbed uh, Corey initially and started working backwards. They they did a very thorough and involved investigation in this case. And, and Joel, think about, you know, 2022, March of 2022, when Eric died of a drug overdose. And even today, you know, fentanyl overdoses occur far too often in this country. And, and sometimes police will approach those as a, well, this is a, another drug user who, who took too much. And so they, they may not jump into the fray as investigators I'm not being critical of Summit County Police or Park City Police. They they did a great job, but you know it's not like they walked up and he's got a knife sticking out of his heart. You know it's a it's a fentanyl overdose, and so it it took a while. But the state allowed the evidence to progress. They allowed the investigation to take place. They didn't hook anybody up anytime soon. They didn't make charges anytime soon. They waited until the whole case coalesced in a way that they felt they had substantial evidence that they have uh, proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And, and, but I understand the defense argument. I mean, that's, you, you make arguments like that and say, well, you didn't look here and you didn't look there. And, and you, we heard a lot of that during the testimony that, well, you should have, did you investigate this person? Did you investigate that person? But the state did a very good job and took their time and allowed the evidence to come together. And I think put together a very strong case. Uh, Dr. Garrison, uh, this question here, this always intrigues me. Um, from Kara about Corey. Uh, Corey has shark eyes, the way they were uh, darting around creeped me out. Um, how closely are you looking at um, a suspect's eyes or defendant's eyes when you're kind of examining their overall appearance? It's interesting, the eyes. I mean, I look at whether or not they're squinting their eyes and things like that, where they look and sort of how they look. Uh, Everything that I do is based in research, and there's no re no good research that says if eyes look this way or do this or they look a certain dire direction or anything like that. None of it uh, consistently means much. So I actually don't. I mean, I look at that because it's. I think we innately kind of 
pay attention to that, but I don't try to make any meaning of that, actually. A couple of interesting legal questions here, Greg, back to back. Uh, first from Julie in the UK. There was so much speculation about the glass Eric had. Do we know if they actually recovered it? That's question number one, Greg. So so that's a good question. And it, it kind of goes back to what I said earlier about the fentanyl overdose. I mean, the glass is arguably the murder weapon to the extent there is one. But again, um, Corey's there. She claims to have done uh, CPR. Of course, the, the forensic or the uh, medical examiner said nobody performed CPR on this body. Nobody even tried. Um, and, and you know, could have moved things, could have done things. The police come, the, the, the paramedics come, and they're doing their, their gig, but they're not looking at a drinking glass next to the bed as like they would a gun or they would a knife or they would something like that. And so I, I do think that there was a reason why they, the police hadn't focused on that initially and probably wish they would have. I mean, looking back, that would have been very compelling, um, but they didn't. And, and, I, and I excuse that because of the circumstances of the death. Uh, Toy White, that, that makes perfect sense. But Toy White, uh, will her, <clears throat> excuse me, will her attempt to poison him before uh, be allowed in? Will the fact that she allegedly tried to poison her first husband be allowed in? Those things matter. Uh, Greg, what do you think? So there are rules of evidence that we that deal with um, sort of this modus operandi or whatever you want to call it. And the state may try to get it in under a, a sort of a pattern, a way that she handles <laughs> bad relationships by poisoning people. Um, I, I, it may be a stretch. And frankly, there may not be sufficient evidence to show the prior uh, poisonings because Eric was the, the victim of those and he's not around to testify about that anymore. Uh, one of, occurred in Greece. So I don't know whether they, they have medical people there that they're going to fly out or whether the judge would even find it to be relevant. Um, it, you, you have to sort of keep your eye on the prize. And when the judge hears the evidence about that, from the state, uh, he may or may not uh, exclude it. Uh, obviously, the state wants to get that evidence in. The defense will try to keep it out. And I i don't know that I have my, my Utah Rules of Evidence hat on well enough to say whether that would come in. I, I think it's going to be something the state that's been, that that fact will be argued, no question. And let's go three for three, Greg. Uh, what do you think is going to be the hardest piece of evidence against her for her attorneys to try to argue against? I think one thing that I saw that surprised me at the hearing, Joel, was these these uh, Google searches that uh, Corey did immediately after the death. I mean, she's looking up, um, you know, exotic, uh, you know, uh, prisons for the rich and famous. Uh, can police compel you to give a statement? Uh, can they force you to take a polygraph test? How do I hide uh, things that are on my cell phone? Uh, how does what does a poisoning look like to the medical examiner? I mean, the 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 things that she did immediately afterwards, which we didn't know about, we didn't know any of that until this hearing, that that, that to me, as an attorney, having tried uh, several hundred cases, I thought was very, very powerful. And it's just, it's just the way we can do CSI now, you know, we, we couldn't have recovered that kind of stuff 20, 30, 40 years ago when I started practicing law. But I, I think that's going to be a hard thing for the state to to or excuse me for the defense to overcome and a hard thing for Corey to explain why she's accessing those particular sites. Uh, look at this, Greg. 
some love. Heart, Greg, heart emoji, Greg, heart emoji, Greg, heart emoji. So Greg is love too. She Jukester, look at this. Joel, I sent you an important email yesterday. I emailed you back. You got to check your email box unless it's stuck in mine. I'll check afterwards, but I did email you back. I do my best to get back to everyone. I really do. Uh, thank God STS Nation is a very active community, so I get a lot of notes, and I love it. Uh, keep sending them in. Surviving the Survivor at gmail.com. Um, Dr. G, back to you here. So uh, a couple of trips. Uh, who doesn't kill a spouse and then take a trip? Uh, she decided uh, of her own volition, I guess. She was working with detectives initially and decided uh, they were questioning some stuff. And she decided to email them. And she says, and I quote, yes, about any exotic vacations I've taken since Eric's passing. I went on two trips last year, she wrote. One, my kids tried out at a soccer camp in Salt Lake City to qualify to play in Spain in June, and both my kids made it. So yes, I took them to Spain in October. Despite detailing two trips she took in 2022 in the email to police, she went on to also note a third trip to Mexico five months after Eric died. I took my kids, she says, and my mom came with us in August of 2022. To Mexico. Um, Dr. G, it might just be me, but I've said it before. Prison is a pretty big deterrent for me. Um, if I did something to my lovely wife, which I never would, um, I would have to be hooked up to an IV of Pepto-Bismol. Um, it would be difficult to, to not be nervous, scared, looking over my shoulder. How does this woman allegedly do this and then just go overseas, not once, but twice, if not three times? I think one of the things that's important to to keep in mind with somebody that can do this kind of thing um, is that, especially if many of the if if a lot of the different things we've heard about her are indeed true, the amount of anxiety they feel is very different than the way most people experience it, and so they genuinely just they do not feel the anxiety for consequences that a lot of people do. That doesn't mean she doesn't feel anxious at all. I think she felt anxious at times during the hearing. But the level of anxiety um, is low, partially because sometimes they believe they're too important to get in trouble for these things. Sometimes because, you know, once again, whether she did it or not, her understanding of grief seems unusual. It's a very rudimentary understanding of grief, because I don't think that if the mother of my children were to pass or were to be murdered by somebody, uh, that I would be uh, capable of enjoying anything much less exotic vacations for I don't even know how long, right? But this is, it's, it's an unusual, it's, it's unusual no matter how you cut it. It's just strange, but it shows to me that she has a, a, a limited understanding of others' emotions, like in a, in a very real way, which a lot of us, when we see somebody that, you know, like people that we feel like are attractive, we, we project how they feel oftentimes. So we go, oh, well, they must feel this way because that's how people feel. So we may be throughout her life. Um, if she has these limited emotions, people may have projected ways that she feels that she just doesn't uh leona leone uh can can you believe the evil out there it's worse than ever is this true uh dr g or is it just our perception because now we've got twitter youtube instagram facebook uh has there always been this level of evil absolutely yeah i don't i don't think anything's changed really i don't i think that we're better at catching some of it now right like a case like this you know 30 40 years ago good luck proving it in any real way so i think that we're just much we have better technology now i don't think the evil has gotten worse 
Um, look at this, Kevin Callahan, STS, European time finally. And by the way, uh, Sundays, not this Sunday, but the following Sunday, we're going to start to switch to an earlier time as well. And I like to try to do a Wednesday lunchtime if possible. Uh, so our friends overseas don't have to stay up too late. Um, shout out to Tilo, who I see is cursing in my chat, but she told me she wasn't feeling well and stayed home. At least she's cursing in the chat and not on YouTube. Like we have Amy Lawrence, lovely, uh, defense attorney out of South Carolina that loves to drop multiple F-bombs. And she was doing that last night. If you missed it, we had the latest on the Alec Murdoch saga, what's going on with Stephen Smith, and also what is happening with Mallory Beach, a young woman killed in that boating accident where Paul Murdoch, who is now deceased, or both now deceased, uh, was driving that boat uh, intoxicated. Um, some more information to get through here. According to Corey Richens, Eric, her husband, wanted, maybe demanded, she's implying, that she be a homemaker. Uh, and this came out in this same email exchange. She says, Corey writes to law uh, enforcement, Eric did not want me working because his ex-wife had an affair with a colleague. She said Eric had wanted her to be a homemaker and a typical conservative wife and her job as a real estate agent threatened him. Eric wanted us to live the typical conservative life. This is a direct quote, where the man takes care of his family and the wife is a homemaker, wife and mom, and that's it. And she goes on to say, that is not my personality and not the way I was raised. I am very uh, independent. Uh, Greg Scordis, you know the family. Are they denying these out? You know these allegations, which you know he's basically just accusing. She's accusing him of wanting her to be a stay-at-home mom, essentially. Which is, you know, I can understand that. Um, and if a woman wants to work, I understand that too. But uh, kids, so it's a it's a full-time job. Anyone who has three little kids like myself, they know that. But um, any I don't know. When you're speaking to the family, was this a, a big um, point of concern for them that, uh, you know, Eric wanted her to be a homemaker and she hated this fact? It certainly wasn't supported by the facts, Joel. I mean, when he met her, she was a clerk at the Home Depot. He was a contractor. He went in there a lot. He supported her in becoming a realtor. He supported her in setting up that business. Uh, she was trying to get into the uh, the, the sort of the home flipping business. And uh, he supported that. He, he sort of bankrolled it, really, if you think about it. So I don't think there's any evidence to show that he withheld her ability or her desire to further her career or to do things. And just the opposite. It appears that he supported that and, and supported it in not only uh, emotionally, but financially. Um, so yeah, I, I, that, I, that, that wasn't borne out by the evidence that, that we've seen at all. And, uh, Kara says here, she couldn't divorce him with the prenup, all the money hinged on his death. Do you agree with this statement, Greg? It's, it's mostly true. I mean, the prenup gave her certain assets, but she even said, and I think everybody agrees that she made more on his, he, he was worth more to her dead than divorced. Uh, the, the prenup limited, I mean, as, as most prenups do, I mean, he had a, a business, he was successful well before he met her. And the prenup sort of, as most do, preserve that, those premarital assets. And so she would have been limited that way. But it also provided that if he died, that sort of the floodgates were open and she would receive much more of his estate. So, yeah, I mean, she she could read between the lines. And, and that's another 
piece of circumstantial evidence to show motive here that there was uh, there was motive for her to kill him because especially if he's starting to sniff around divorce lawyers and thinking well maybe I need to get out of this she knows she's she's not going to be as rich as she would be if he died uh Shaquille Oatmeal my favorite name uh she's going to have plenty of time to write several books in prison uh that is probably going to end up being a true statement uh Greg back to you for a moment um Eric had uh, reportedly been carrying out an affair for some time before his death but uh, Corey Richardson said the couple had been trying to work through their issues. She added that she had been holding back from moving out of their home and only threatened to do so to get him to uh, end the supposed affair. I believe she was having an affair too. Uh, has any of this been corroborated that he in fact was you know, cheating on her? Or is she just trying to throw him under the bus and uh, tar and feather him? We, we've seen no corroboration to him. Uh, having an affair on her and just the opposite. So, I mean, she can say what she wants about he was this and he was that. I mean, he was a family man, first and foremost. He he was not going to do anything uh, to jeopardize his re relationship with his kids, his ability to be a father to them. Even if they got divorced, his ability to get, uh, you know, custody as much as possible, time with them. Uh, no, he uh, there's there's no nothing that supports anything that I've seen that would support the notion that he was having a relationship outside of his marriage. And Tom chimes in, I bet we will find out she had multiple affairs. I wouldn't doubt that myself. Um, what about this question to you, uh, Dr. G? Uh, so the kids are also objects. And I think Tina is referring, we just got done or still are in the midst of covering, uh, taking a little hiatus at the moment, but we covered Lori Valadebel. Uh, they talk about how the kids were ob objects uh, and had to be removed. We just had Larry and Kate Woodcock on. That was an amazing interview. Mm -hmm. uh, if you haven't seen it, please check that out. Uh, of course, they're the grandparents of J.J. Vallo and uh, took Kylie under their uh, wings as well. Um, but what about this notion? I mean, this is a whole other level. Um, I think people say this often. You know, I, I can understand the spouse, but then to torment the children. And in Lori Vallo's case, it was, you know, the ultimate uh, horror where they murdered the kids. But here, what's going on with Corey Richens that she's not thinking a few steps ahead to say, hey, I might destroy my kids' uh, lives in the process of doing this. Why no thought about that? If your empathy is bad enough to do the things that she's been accused of, then your empathy probably isn't great for your kids either. I mean, I think that's the reality of it is that if you could truly take away the father of, of uh, your children, um, knowing the, 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 the staggering impact that will have on the rest of their lives, then yeah, th then that means that your empathy is so poor that you truly cannot understand human emotion in that way. And so, yeah. And so, the, you know, it, it's people like this. I mean, there's no shortage, sadly, of, of people who abuse their kids in this country. So I, I, I know that it's, it's not, it doesn't entirely shock me the idea that somebody could, um, that could commit something like this would not be thinking of how their children feel about it or care. So, hey, you know, the old cliche, you need a license to be a realtor. You need a law license. You need a license to go fishing. You don't need a license to be a parent, but it's probably the most important license that you should have to get. <laughs> yeah. A lot of crappy parents out there. Um, this one's a tougher one. Uh, Dr. G, 
What is the easiest way for us to spot someone who thinks of other people as objects to be used? How can we figure them out early on so they can't hurt us? Is that even possible? Uh, to an extent it is, because a lot of people will ignore small red flags or they'll minimize them or they'll say, okay, that's not such a big deal. I can deal with that. Uh, or I'm pretty tough. This person will change. Uh, pay attention to your gut is a big one. A lot of us feel like sometimes we'll we'll feel that somebody's not good. They'll feel we'll feel that somebody in a relationship is doing things that we're not okay with. And rather than saying, than challenging yourself and going, you know what, like I'm going to pay attention to these red flags. That's a, that's a a hard line for me. Uh, we we try too hard, and that's that's the problem. And more with somebody manipulative, they can convince us to keep trying. And therein lies the the trap. So, can you spot people like this? Oftentimes, early on, probably not so much. Once you've been with them for a while, um, you got you got to start paying attention to. Uh, whether or not they they have empathy, I think that's a huge one, you know. And that doesn't mean that everybody has to show like huge amounts of emotion. But if somebody truly does not care how you feel, if they truly only care about themselves, then then you've really got to reevaluate a relationship. In my a few more things, and then uh, I got to let these guys get back to their day jobs. Shaquille O'Meal, uh, probably the most accurate comment so far. Corey is a hot stankin' mess. Um, KCL from Salt Lake City. I'm listening while I get some quick exercise in in between my son's game for his basketball tournament. One more rep, KCL. One more rep. You can do it. You can do it. All right. Um, so uh, Corey admits uh, mental health problems. Um, she details them in this same email to police, uh, Dr. G. It seems like she was pouring her heart out uh, to show, show how, uh, I don't know, caring or meticulous she was being in terms of responding to their uh, you know, inquiries. Uh, so she details a uh, prior mental health problem saying she took medication after suffering postpartum depression after the birth of her second child in 2014. Here's a quote. Uh, I just want this over. Uh, I just want our lives back and to move on and grieve and mourn my husband without looking over my shoulder constantly for you guys or the idiotic private investigator or the Richens family. Whatever I can do to help close this out, just ask. I'll give you or tell you whatever you want to know. Um, sometimes when I get worked up with Carmela, she pulls out my mom, my co-host. She will pull out an old quote saying, it's like the boy who murdered his uh, parents and then cried clemency in the court of law or something along those lines. So uh, here... Um, I just want this over. That's I can almost hear a child, uh, a child's voice there. You know, she got herself in trouble, and now she wants to get herself out of trouble. How do you read that? Uh, I personally read that as, um, you know, I talked earlier about somebody that doesn't like being out of control. I read that as somebody who is used to eventually getting their way and pushing and pushing. And when there's somebody that has legitimate control, that's those are the positions that's going to make someone like this uncomfortable whether it's being in the court of law, you know, whether it's attorneys, law enforcement, people that have legitimate power, those are ones that she's going to be very frustrated by. And if she feels like she's not getting what she wants, then as we may have seen in the past, she acts out, she lashes out, she, um, and, and inappropriately. So it's obviously not going to do you any good to reach out to law enforcement and say things like this, but it shows that she feels like that she can push. And if she's feeling out of control, that's, that's what she's going to turn to. Um, and, you know, I, I think listing all of the other things she talked about in that email, if I if I read it right, uh, 
goes to show how she probably manipulates. Um, this is probably what's worked for her in the past with other people. So this may sort of give us an idea of what she's like. And uh, Greg, I uh, forgot to put this in my notes, but I'm well aware of it. She was uh, doing a bunch of uh, Google searches. She was looking up like life in prison, uh, things like maybe how to conceal a murder, things like that. How much is that going to come back to bite her in the behind? I think it's very compelling evidence. And it shows, I think it shows uh, consciousness of guilt. I mean, it shows that she was doing some things and trying to cover up after it occurred. And, and I you know Dr. G probably knows a lot more about this than I do, but I think a lot of times people will commit a homicide and then kind of go, whoa, you know, that, okay, I just did that. Now what do I do? And so then she's sort of looking at the, you know, the websites and going on doing these searches about, you know, where, where could I end up in prison? Where, what's, what's the nice swanky prisons? And by the way, there aren't any nice ones in Utah. And there are, and, and sort of how can the police make me take a polygraph test? How can I, how can I erase things on my, on my phone? Because, you know, the, the poisoning thing probably seemed easy for her. And she probably just assumed, hey, everyone will just assume he's, he's a drug addict and died like so many people do these days on, on opioids. And then she realizes that there is some level of inquiry that police are looking, that his family is going, hey, wait a minute. He didn't use drugs. He, he never touched drugs. Something's amiss here. And then she's sort of going back, going, okay, how am I going to cover my tracks? People just don't think in a, ahead. Or they wouldn't kill in the first place, I guess. And and I think that that will that will be very compelling evidence against her. And Shaq, uh, Shaq is asking Greg. That we, he says we haven't seen her parents. Have we seen any of Corey Richens' family in court supporting her? Yes, she had several people there supporting her. Whether they were close family members or not, I don't know. But she certainly had some uh, a posse there that seemed to be in support of her. They may have just been uh, lookers on. I don't know. I wouldn't know her family to recognize them, but I assume she had some family there. And uh, Brandon, uh, do we know if, I know you addressed this earlier on, uh, if the trial will be this year or two years down the road, if you had to guess, is it sooner than later or are we going to be waiting a while for this trial to get going? Well, when a person's in custody, they certainly have a lot more right to what we call in America a speedy trial because they're prejudiced by the delay. Uh, Had she been released Monday, We'd be talking about a trial in 2025, but it doesn't help her necessarily to have a trial in two years where she's sitting in jail. So my guess is, uh, and and there's a lot of evidence here that her attorneys need to go through, and that could take months, but it's not going to take years. My guess is that there will be a trial in 2024 on this case. And uh, Dr. G, uh, to you, uh, Adam Bluefire, who watches us in Spain, I believe, how did Corey get away with all that she did for so long without triggering any alarm bells from people close to her, or even alarm bells uh, from the authorities? Any guess on that? Well, you know, if somebody has low empathy, they have high callousness, they are able to be manipulative. Um, we deal with people like that every day. Like that's that w- if we set off alarm bells every time we interacted with somebody that has those traits, uh, you know, it would be, it would, we'd be going overboard. So I'm sure there has been things, there've been things, uh, that people have not liked or that have observed, but nothing that would make them assume that they would, there would be the leap to something like murder. So I think that's how, because a lot of the behaviors for better or worse can be fairly normalized. So, 
And uh, SGS Nation articulates better than me. Back to I am not T-Pain, uh, the queen or king of questions. I don't have no idea. The gender, I, and you can't even ask that anymore in 2023, so I will uh, leave that alone. What do you think the psychological impact will be for their, for their children having to grow up knowing their mom killed her dad? So we said it's going to impact them, but in what way? Do you think that they are going to be uh, maybe more inclined to depression or anxiety? Are they going to be shamed? Uh, all of the above, none of the above? What do you think, Dr. G? Probably all of the above. I mean, you know, when you think about what a parent uh, is supposed to do to protect their kids, basically, get them ready to be adults and launch into the world, right? And when you have one parent who's been murdered and another who has been accused of it, um, that is the ultimate form of having no protection. So high levels of anxiety, depression, all sorts of, and I'm not, obviously there's no guarantee that they'll deal with this, but that's what I would expect is that it's going to be, you know, p post-traumatic issues. There's going to be a, a lot of stuff to deal with. And my, my heart really goes out to, to, to these kids and, and what they've gone through. It's just unbelievable. Uh, this next comment, and I agree, Dr. G is the best. I hope he comes on more. I really believe that she is totally guilty of this terrible crime. She found a whale, as I heard. She was a cashier at a store. Eric stopped by. That was the Home Depot. Uh, the most important part of this, Dr. G, are you going to come back on as a frequent guest? I need to have you. Any Anytime you want me, I'm here. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Uh, good old Steve Cohen, otherwise known as Meeve Moen, uh, our phenomenal booking producer. We chat after the shows, and uh, you have Greg Scordis on. I text him. I love Greg Scordis. Uh, I will definitely be texting him that I love Dr. G. Uh, so now we might uh, abuse our privileges, but we like to do that here at STS Nation. Uh, my fellow Jerseyan, Bella Michelle, Jersey girl, my Jersey hat right here. Smash that like button. Thank you so much. Uh, one more quick thing and maybe a question or two, and we will roll on out. Uh, uh, Greg Scordis, to you. Um, following Eric's death, uh, Corey Richens claimed he had an addiction to pain medicine in high school, uh, basically accused him uh, of having uh, some sort of drug issue, even going so far as to say that he may have been dealing uh, some drugs. Again, is she just trying to drag him through the mud? Any evidence of this at all? None at all. And yes, no evidence of that at all. And yes, uh, this is just the way to make a an offense to your best defense uh, to sort of attack him and make him appear to be some, I mean, this, this guy was, he was an outdoorsman. He supported his kids. He coached them in uh, little league uh, baseball and soccer. Uh, he was an avid hunter. He went out, he took very good care of himself. He, he was very healthy. He was not the kind of person that would have done something like that to his body. And there's no evidence at all. I mean, there was he, he didn't have anything that would ever support the notion that he was a drug user at all. And, and no one no one has any way to corroborate that. But there's also no way to show that he did. I mean, he just didn't. There was there's no there's no evidence that he had that at all. And can I say something about that as well? Is that, 100%. you know, it, uh, and while, while obviously there's no evidence that, that, that there's that history for someone, if they had had that history, would not take five times. A dose of fentanyl they would know what they're doing it's the whole it's just an argument that doesn't hold water one way or the other it's still a stupid argument in my opinion i i don't i don't think that that's a sensible thing to try to prove one thing or the other frankly so uh matthew harris law uh good advertisement for matthew harris law wherever you are uh there's not a week that goes by that i don't have to deal with a case involving domestic violence people are just terrible i used to have a boss in tv news that would say 
people, the problem that won't go away. And maybe he was right. Uh, the uh, person who is not a problem, who I want to stay very close, Dr. Garrison, J.P. Garrison. He earned a PsyD in clinical psychology from the Georgia School of Professional Psychology. He's been cited for his expertise in psychology and numerous media outlets, including Business Insider, Forbes, Vice, Huffington Post, Yahoo News, Real Simple, Fatherly, and others. I love this part. He has extensively studied the language and culture of South Korea for over a decade, and he has his very own awesome YouTube channel. Please check it out and subscribe to it. It is called Dr. G Explains, and let's get him a Twitter following, uh, at Dr. G Explains. Uh, as well. Um, Kara says here, and we'll get your final thoughts after this, even if they split up, she would have found a way to kill him. Uh, do you agree with that, Dr. G? Was she out to get him no matter what? It, based on it, the information that we have right now, if she did this, it would be uh, money was the motive. I don't think she had a bloodlust. I think it was just she wanted money, you know, so I, I, I doubt she would have uh, wasted her time with something like that. And how about this? How about this question? Because this is a big overarching question. Why do killers or accused killers always think they are smarter than everyone else and that they'll get away with the crimes? Surely they know there's a high probability they'll eventually get caught. You you would be amazed at how much they believe that they would not get caught. <laughs> These, you know, part of the problem is that if someone's a, is a narcissistic, they lack insight, right? They think that they are the most, they're smartest and most important person in the room. So, you know, I understand the logic that she may have followed for this. Thinking, oh, well, nobody's ever going to think it's me, you know, like, and all of that kind of stuff. So I really think, as shocking as it is, sometimes people really just think, yeah, nobody would ever pay attention to me, so I can kind of do what I want. Nobody Nobody will think twice. Never too late to shout out Papa Bear. Come to us from Moscow, Idaho. Of course, the... uh town where those horrific quadruple homicides uh, happen, so... um our hearts go out to her. Uh, KCL here, a question for Greg. I've heard Corey was having an affair, and then just last night I read Eric was having an affair. Uh, we just went over that, uh, so my apologies. But Greg Scordis, uh, he represents deceased husband Eric Richens' family in this twisted case. He has practiced law, Greg Scordis has, since 1982, uh, working, uh, starting off his career at the Salt Lake Legal Defenders Association as a prosecutor, now a very high profile, very successful criminal defense attorney. He, again, is the spokesperson for the family uh, and an all-around great guy who uh, blesses us with his presence when he comes on. Greg, any final thoughts about this case? And uh, in the end, uh, will Amy Richardson's family be vindicated here? And will uh, Corey go to the big house for many, many years? What do you think? It's looking more and more like that. I mean, I trust the system. Like I say, I've been practicing for 41 years. I think juries get it right. I think um, generally when cases like this go to trial, the jury makes the right decision. I think the state has a good case. We haven't heard the defense uh, much of it yet. So I'll, I'll keep that in mind as well. She's certainly presumed innocent, but uh, it looks like the state's done its job and she didn't cover her tracks as well as she probably thought she, she had. And uh, I think that, the Richens family is looking forward to the trial. Uh, MN says, uh, I like that Dr. G is ready for the worst cases, non-judgmental, non-avoidant, and even the worst cases are social and human versions, and maybe they would be different under different circumstances. 
Patty Martin astutely points out, Eric was worth $5 million. This is like the Lori Daybell, except that Lori had a brother to help her, both greedy narcissists. Uh, money is, uh, as they say, the root of all evil. And uh, in this case, it appears to be uh, the case. Look at this. Never too late to say hi to Tally. Uh, in Israel, I didn't even know there was a live now. I'm used to a different hour. Got to follow me on Twitter at Podcast STS. Uh, we're going to start to try to do more Wednesday. Uh, we're going to start to try to do, I'm laughing at a comment, more Wednesday lunch lives for our global audience. Lucky Lou says, Dr. G said, Joel's body language resembles one who's in denial of the Miami Heat losing the NBA championship. <laughs> I got to be honest, I'm really a diehard Knicks fan. I love all sports, but uh, my love for the NBA went out the window a long time ago, although now I've got a four-year-old boy somehow at my age. I don't know how that happened. That's a whole other story, but I'm going to have to get back into it. Although I took him to a took him to a Marlins game last week. My oldest daughter had a sleepover, not to bore everyone at the end, but I will. They were all staying uh, with 12 girls, and I said, let's do a boy thing. Got them in New York City, where I spent most of my life, to get front row seats behind home plate at Yankee Stadium. You're spending a couple of grand. 36 bucks. I got two front row seats behind home plate for a Marlins game. Got there, and New York would take three hours. Got there in 20 minutes. And after a half an inning, my little beautiful boy said, I'm bored. Let's go. <laughs> and I had to walk them all around the stadium um, until my legs get tired. And then we went and crashed the birthday party. So on that note, want to thank our great guests, the best guests, Greg Scordis and uh, Dr. J.P. Garrison. It was a real pleasure to meet you, Dr. J.P. It's a little hectic at the beginning today, so I apologize. Uh, tomorrow, 5 p.m. Eastern time. Great Scott. It's time for your true crime Phil with the great retired detective Phil Waters, who's investigated over 400 homicide cases and former FBI agent Scott Duffy. And then uh, no Carm this Sunday, and I'm still working on the show. You got to follow me on Twitter, Podcast STS, to get all the updates. Until then, love you, America. Love you, Utah. Love you, Georgia. And everywhere in between. Final seconds of the game, a chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system, or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This 
is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. 